be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We are glad for the opportunity to be together tonight. We're very appreciative for the many blessings that we enjoy in Christ, the rich fellowship that we have, and we are grateful for the church here at this location. We do want to encourage everyone to be making plans for the gospel meeting that begins next Sunday morning. I hope that each and every one will be praying for this endeavor that much and everlasting good will come forth. Tonight I want us to think for just a moment or two about what is written in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 4 through 7, the passage that Brother D.O. read just a moment ago. I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, joyfulness in the Lord. I want to begin by stating that those of us that belong to the body of Christ, we should be the most joyful people in the world. I really believe that those of us that belong to the body of Christ have been blessed immeasurably. And there are far too many people in the Lord's church that walk around with long faces and live in the valley of despair and fail to realize the great joy that belongs to those of us that call ourselves Christians. And so tonight we want to look at Philippians chapter 4. The first thing that I call your attention to is the pleasure that we should enjoy in the Lord. And this really has to do with our satisfaction. Look, if you would, at what Paul said in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4 at verse 4. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. There are two questions that come to mind. First of all, why should we rejoice? Why should we, as the people of God, live in a state of joy? Well, there might be a number of answers that we could, could use in respect to this question. But I think first and foremost, we should live in a state of joyfulness and we should be the kind of people who are willing to rejoice because we have tapped in literally to the fountain of every blessing known to man. In other words, you and I, we serve the God who is the fountain of all blessings. The psalmist back in Psalm 68 at verse 19 said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with blessings or benefits. James said in James chapter 1 that every good and every perfect gift comes down from above. And so you and I, we have literally been showered upon with any number of blessings. Now we understand that those blessings are physical, material, mental, 
Most of all, we think about the spiritual blessings that are ours to enjoy in Christ Jesus. And Paul talks about those spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 3. And so, we ask the question, why should we rejoice? Well, because you and I have been so richly blessed. But then there is a second question that we might ask. When should we rejoice? Look again at the words of Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I think the idea here is that we need to live in a state of continual joy. Now somebody might say, how can I live in a state of joy? How can I live with a spirit of joyfulness when externally my, my world is crumbling down around me? When problems beset me? When foes attack me? How can I live in a state of joyfulness? Well, I want you to think for just a moment about Paul. Paul was a unique individual. And if you read the book of Philippians, you know that when Paul penned this book in about A.D. 62, he was residing in prison. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, he speaks of his chains. He was a prisoner of the Lord. And yet Paul, of all people, understood the joy that exists in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you'll read the four chapters of the book of Philippians. You'll find that over ten times Paul uses the word rejoice or joy. Over ten times. And yet Paul was in prison when he penned this book. Did Paul understand something about living in a state of joy? Absolutely. Now you can go back to the book of Philippians, or rather to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16. And you read about Paul and Silas and their endeavors in the city of Philippi. And in Acts chapter 16, the Bible tells us that these men were apprehended. A command was given to beat them with rods. And Luke in his narrative of these events says in Acts chapter 16, when they had laid many stripes upon them. These men were beaten. They were beaten for what? Well, we know that they were servants of the Lord. They were proclaimers of the gospel. And yet they were, they were beaten. Their feet were fastened in stocks. They were placed in prison. And yet, what was their attitude? Was it one of gloom and despair? Was it one of intense agony? No, the Bible says in Acts 16, verse 25, at midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. I really believe that when you look at the life of Paul, you see an individual who found Christianity a joyful experience. His joyfulness was not subject to what was going on in the world about him. But rather it was this internal peace, and we'll have more to say about that in just a moment. But the world about him did not necessarily make or break him. It didn't make or break his spirit. 
So first of all, we think of his pleasure in the Lord. But there's a second thing I want to call your attention to tonight. And this has to do with our prayers to the Lord. Now look again at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 4 he has said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. And then in verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So we think about these supplications that we are to offer to Jehovah God. But before we look at verse 6, I want you to back up and look at verse 5. Apparently there had been some kind of conflict that existed among a couple of sisters in Christ in the church at Philippi. And apparently Paul addresses that in the first couple of verses of chapter 4. But note specifically what is said in verse 5 again. Let your gentleness or your graciousness, some translations say, let your forbearance or your moderation be, be made known to all men. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. Now some would say that Paul here is, is talking about the second coming of Christ. And that may be the case. There were some apparently in the first century that labored under the idea that the Lord's coming was going to be very soon. And so Paul wrote to dispel that idea in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Some of those people were quitting their jobs and making themselves ready for the second coming of Christ. And indeed, we need to be people who are ready for that event. Paul said that the coming of the Lord would be as a thief in the night, just like what Peter said over in 2 Peter chapter 3. But if you look at Philippians chapter 4 at verse 5, there's something else I want you to think about. Not just this idea of the coming of the Lord. But let's, let's focus for a minute about our attitude in times of trial. Paul said, the Lord is at hand. I think about the Lord being at my side. In other words, I think about the Lord standing by me and with me as I experience the various trials and tribulations common to everyday living. Back in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 148, the psalmist talks about how the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to those who call upon Him in truth. Did you know that the Lord is by our side? Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said, speaking of the Lord, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you? And so the idea of the Lord being present, even though Paul had been subjected to prison, even though his life was oftentimes filled with, with persecutions and trials, he understood the Lord was at his side, and he's at our side. But then I want you to think about not just our attitude in times of trial, but our actions in times of trial. Now look at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul begins by saying, Be anxious for nothing. Or in nothing, be anxious. And what Paul here is saying is, to, to just be very blunt, 
Don't worry. Don't live in a state of anxiety. Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 25 and following, three times Jesus Christ, the Son of God, makes this statement. Do not worry. In verse 25, he said, do not worry. In about verse 31, he said, do not worry. In verse 34, he said, do not worry. Now here's the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, in nothing be anxious. What about you? We talk about our attitude in times of trial and our actions in times of trial. And for many of us, even though we, we belong to the Lord, even though we enjoy this vast array of spiritual blessings, we live in a state of anxiety. Many times we live in a state of worry. And yet Jesus said, do not worry. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. If anybody had reason to worry, Paul would have been the man. Go back and read sometime 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and just note some of the things that Paul experienced as a preacher of the gospel, as a child of God. You talk about somebody who could have lived in a constant state of anxiety, Paul could have been that man. Or go back and read the Psalms and note some of the things that David experienced in his lifetime. David could have lived in a state of perpetual anxiety and worry. And yet, David, like Paul, looked to the Lord. So look now at what he says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Every circumstance that you and I face in this life needs to be met by what? By prayer. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. How often we bear the loads of life unaided, all because we do not carry these things to God in prayer. You just think about what a great resource prayer is to those of us who belong to the Lord. Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Paul said pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, in Colossians chapter 4 at verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. James said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer is a tremendous resource to those of us who belong to God. And yet so many times we fail to exercise this great privilege. Do you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. God's ears are attentive to our prayers. There's no reason for us to live in a state of anxiety. There's no reason for us to be burdened with worry when God is at our side, when he is on our side, and when he is always listening. He is ever ready 
to take our prayers. There is a third thing we see in this text. Look now at verse 7. In verse 7, we find our peace with the Lord. Here's what Paul said. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There should be a sense of security or serenity known only to God's people. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for security. The problem is they're looking for security and serenity in their lives in the wrong places. If you want to enjoy true security, true peace, lasting peace and happiness, let me tell you where it's found. It's found in Christ Jesus. Now, having said that, think about what Paul said in verse 7. The degree of peace that is given. Paul said the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Why is it that you and I enjoy peace? Well, Paul said we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. But we enjoy peace because we know the Prince of Peace. Did you know that Isaiah spoke of the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6? The Prince of Peace can give you peace the kind of peace that is unknown in this world. So Paul said, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You and I enjoy a degree of peace that is it's unimaginable to those in the world about us. There are a lot of people in our world today, they will tell you they want peace in their lives. They want somehow to bring peace to their shattered lives. That peace is available in Christ. Paul said it's the peace that passes all understanding. But there's a second thing I want you to note. Look at the latter part of verse 7. He said the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Think for a moment about the degree of guardianship here. Paul said that this peace that we experience, that we enjoy in Christ, that it will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word guard there is a military term. What it, what it really means is to protect by a military guard either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. What then is Paul saying to us? He's saying that the peace, the prince of peace, can guard your heart. Look again at verse 7. He said, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Did you know that Jesus Christ can protect you from your fears? There are a lot of people in our world today, they live in a state of fear. And maybe rightly so. There are a lot of things that maybe bring fear to our minds. Maybe because of some particular task that we have been instructed to carry out. Maybe because of a sense of responsibility in a particular profession. Maybe because of the enormity of our work, whatever the case may be. A good illustration would be, go back to the book of Joshua. Joshua, you recall, was the successor to Moses, the lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel. How would you like to have filled the shoes of Moses? I can't imagine succeeding him. And yet that's, that's really what Joshua did. He assumed that role of leadership among the people of God. It would be through Joshua that God's people would go into Canaan and they would ultimately settle in the land. Moses had been prohibited from doing that. He got to see the promised land, but he didn't get to enter the promised land. Well, Joshua has the task of leading these people into the promised land, dividing the land up, and then settling in the land, driving out the enemies. And so in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, if you were about to, to give somebody this kind of responsibility, you can just imagine the fears that they might be experiencing. You can imagine the weight of responsibility that they now feel. Here's what God said in Joshua chapter 1 at verse 9. Do not be afraid. That's what God said. Don't be afraid. Would it have been out of order for Joshua to have been fearful, to have been afraid? Yes. But God said, do not be afraid. Now, another illustration, a New Testament illustration. In the book of John, chapter 6, we read of Jesus among the disciples. The disciples were apprehensive and concerned because they were on the sea. And things began to rock around them, so to speak. And Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. When we face fear, the tendency sometimes is to what? It's to flee. In other words, sometimes when, when we face fears in life, when we're apprehensive, when we face those anxious moments in life, there is the tendency to turn and flee. But what Paul is saying is, the Lord's going to be there for us. And the Lord is going to, to literally guard our hearts. He's going to protect us from our fears. He's going to help us when that, when that tendency is to turn and flee, to run, to give up. Jesus can not only protect us from our fears, but he can also protect us from our foes. I said a moment ago that as Christians, we need to be joyful people. 
Look again at the words of Paul. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If the Lord is guarding your heart, nothing is going to penetrate it to, to the extent that your peace is going to be shaken. On the other hand, the Lord is going to be with you when you face various adversaries, various foes in life, and He's going to be at your side. I think about somebody going and coming. Well, the Lord is basically saying, look, I'm going to stand guard over your heart. Now let me ask this question. What about you? What about in your life? Do you have the peace that passes all understanding? Is the Lord standing guard at, at the side of your heart? Drop down, if you would, a few verses. Note what Paul said in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then drop down to verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul's life was not subject to external forces. And I think sometimes we allow the external forces of life, we allow the environment about us to dictate our internal state. And to me what Paul is saying is when God reigns and rules in your heart. Your heart, your life, your mind is not subject to what's going on about you. In other words, those things about you, environment, circumstances of life, they're not dictating whether or not you're happy. They're not dictating whether or not you're living in peace. Only the Lord can give us the peace that passes all understanding. There are people in our world today, they're looking for peace and satisfaction in a bottle of alcohol. They're looking for peace and satisfaction in a pill. There are people that are looking for peace and satisfaction in materialism and in money. Let me tell you, it's not there. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes and you'll find that Solomon lays it all on the table and he simply says, listen, if that's where you're looking for happiness, if that's where you think peace is in this life, you're wrong. It's in serving God. In closing, I would suggest that as God's people, we above all people should be joyful. We should live rejoicing, as Paul said, always. Because the Lord is with us. And the Lord is guarding our hearts. He is protecting our hearts. What about you tonight? What is your state? Are you at peace? Are you living in joy? Are you living as Paul has suggested to rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. 
Can you, can you say in your life that that typifies your daily existence? If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, I plead to you, come to Christ. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Only Jesus can give you an abundant life. That abundant life is offered to all people. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, verse 11. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, could we encourage you to do what they did on Pentecost Day? Repent. Be baptized. In so doing... Peter said you'll enjoy the remission of your sins. That is, you'll enjoy forgiveness, pardon, redemption, reconciliation. God will then add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And in that beautiful church that we read about in the Bible, the assurance is the Lord will save those who belong to that body, Ephesians 5, verse 23. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to his cause, we encourage you to come home to recognize that God will restore you to fellowship with him. Once again, what do you need to do? The Bible says that if we will turn from sin, confess him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John said that if we confess our sins, turn to him, he will forgive us. Would you be willing to do that? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.